0: Hello, curious trail runners, and welcome to Beyond DNF. I'm your host, CTS coach, Adam Ferdinandson. You might've noticed that there was no episode last week, and that's because I was down in Arizona doing stuff for our athletes at Black Canyon and hosting a CTS training camp. At the end of the day, I was just too busy, but we are back on track for this week. In this episode, we have Kelly Thrush and CTS coach, Darcy Murphy. Kelly is the recipient of a liver transplant and also has his eyes on the new 300-mile Arizona Monster Race, so we had plenty to chat about. As always, if you'd like to be on, please shoot me an email at beyonddnf at gmail.com and we'll figure it out. Without further ado, I'll let you all enjoy the show. So let's get it started. <clears throat> Kelly, tell us a bit about yourself. What's your history in the sport? I think from what I've seen, you definitely have an interesting story. And yeah, where are we headed after that?
1: Sure. Uh, well, my name's Kelly. Uh, I'm down in Tucson, Arizona. Not so sunny Arizona today. We got another winter storm rolling through. So if you hear the wind in the hurricane, gale forced winds <laughs> whipping outside, that's what's going on. Um New to the sport, three and a half years ago, so it would have been summer of 2020 is when it really took hold. Um, So very, very new to the sport, Um, although ultra running was always the goal. You know, I I wasn't one of the, you know, ran a 5K turkey trot story and then it just built, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was one of the ones where my very first race ever uh, was a half marathon. Uh, with my sister, uh, the same one I mentioned earlier. Um, And then that went from a half marathon to a 50K, was my next official race. So I skipped some steps in between both of those. Um, But yeah, the story's pretty interesting. Uh, Six years ago, almost exactly now, uh, uh, I got extremely ill. uh, and Unbeknownst to me, my liver and my kidneys were failing on me. And so I got very, very sick in January of 2018. Um, and the short-ish, because there there is a long one, but the short-ish version of that story uh, is uh, I spent four and a half months in the hospital uh, and the end result being a full liver transplant uh, in March of 2018. Um, and so as part of my healing and recovery afterwards, not only did, physical recovery because you know part of the disease i had when i came out of the hospital I, I had zero muscle anything tone uh was i spent a lot of time in nature i spent a lot of time hiking tucson we have for those folks who have never been to tucson we have wonderful mountain ranges that surround the city on all four sides uh and they're they're no 14ers but they're they're almost 10 so they're nine and a halfers um gorgeous and so i spent a lot of time hiking and the hikes tended to get longer and longer uh until finally that one of the days my sister asked told me i should run a half marathon with her uh with no formal training or anything uh it was about a month away and i said sure i mean sort of i said sure i was prodded a little bit uh and then it just kind of hooked about summer of 2020 it's been down. Well, you can't say downhill. Mostly uphill ever since. <laughs>
0: How did you hear about ultras? Then what what caused the jump from half marathon to fifty k?
1: Sure, um, like a lot of folks, I think, and with similar stories of mine, because mine, you know, mine is a, um, a part of my liver transplant was c- from addiction, was from alcoholism, which is why my liver quit on me uh, way back then. But I read a book by Charlie Angle called "The Running Man" or just "Running Man." Um and for those folks who don't know Charlie, he's I mean, ultra runner, bad water, has ran across the Sahara uh in 111 days, I think they did it in, Adventure Race or so forth. So he has this wonderful book. Um he also comes from a background of addiction, so I related to it. Uh and I read his book in oh, I don't know, less than thirty hours, uh actually on a trip to Colorado. Uh I I Turned the pages uh, almost nonstop. And when I finished this book, I, you know, I put it down and I looked at my wife and Jamie is her name uh, and said, um, so I think I'm going to start running. And she goes, Oh, Oh, okay. That sounds good. I think it'd be good for you. And I said, yeah, and I'm going to, I'm going to make it a hundred miles. And her face just was blank with the, but people don't run that far. I don't understand. Uh, and then of course she, you know, conversations that her and I have is, well, don't you think maybe you should start with like a 10 K or even a marathon? And my answer is typically, yeah, probably. I'm, I'm not going to, but I probably should. So, uh, that was kind of how the whole journey started.
0: I love that. Wow. We're getting a lot of good book recommendations on <laughs> just, yeah. On, I, I, I listened to
1: you like... and Joe Harden's, uh, episode, I think it was last week mm-hmm. or the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of how I discovered all this. Uh, and I think you brought up David Clark uh, on his books, and they are fantastic. I never got a chance to meet David, and I boy, I wish I had. Um, yep, his, his book resonated with me. Books, plural, both of them.
2: I have to admit, I'm off the back on all of these titles. I've, I feel like I've read my fair share of running and ultra-running mm-hmm. books, but I am adding to my list as we speak, so thank you. <laughs> They're wonderful book.
0: Yes, I have not read um, Running Man either, but I've heard of Charlie. Um, I think maybe David Clark
1: talks about him in his
0: books. Mm. I've heard about him they for do.
1: sure. For mm. sure. They knew each other. Ran in the same circles, pun intended.
0: Well, cool. Can you walk us through a bit of your, what's your daily life look like?
1: Uh, it's pretty busy. Um, so it's mixed between uh, three major aspects. Obviously work, right? Your full-time job, my day job. Uh, which is generally between 40, 45 hours a week, give or take. That's a regular, uh, supposed to be anyway, a regular Monday through Friday, you know, nine to five type job. I'm a a director of sales at a retirement community. So I help seniors uh, that can't stay at home any longer, help find them a program that'll work. Uh, And then uh, training is the other big chunk of that. Uh, either before or after work. Um, it looks different recently than it has in the past years just because my training fo- focus has changed uh, since Havalina. Uh And then the last one, uh, my wife and I just started a, a nonprofit called the Gratitude and Grace Foundation, uh, which takes a lot of our time. In fact, that's what we were doing shortly before you and I hopped on here. Um, but we're going to provide a community and financial support for transplant patients and folks in substance abuse recovery. So uh, that takes a lot up of our not so spare time uh, as well. Fantastic. Go ahead, Adam.
0: I'll just be sure to link that in the show notes.
1: Sure. I appreciate that. That'd be great. It's pretty easy. Gratitudeandgracefoundation.org. And that's the whole website right there.
2: How long have you been doing that, Kelly? Is that like within the past few months or several years?
1: past few months, it's brand new. So this has been an idea of mine that's just sort of floated around up here for a couple, three years, because how it all really started was really immediately when I woke up from surgery, I, I knew that, um, h- how I phrase it is, I have a debt that, that I'll never be able to fully repay. Um, there, the, the fact of the matter is, is that I should not be alive. I shouldn't be here talking to you. Um on paper, I should not have made it. But I did. And that is at um, the hands of so many people and so many strangers and the family of the the donor's family, the donor themselves and all those other people that really contributed to me even being living and breathing. Uh, And I, I really truly believe the only reason that I am still alive is so that I can help other people. And I knew that was That was in the back of my mind that I had to do something. And so we kind of, over the last couple of years, had this seedling of an idea, but really didn't know what that was going to look like. And so as my wife and I talked about, Jamie two years ago or three years ago was telling me stories about the financial hardships that she went through just so that we could make it in my recovery. You know, for example, um, she would turn off the electric Monday through Friday to save the money. Um, while I was recovering at my grandmother's house with my mom. And then I'd come home on the weekends and she'd turn it back on so that I could you know, watch TV or have air conditioning. Uh, and then maybe the next week she turned off the water to save that money uh, and she would shower at my grandmother's house, skip car payments, so forth and so on. You see the trend. Um, I had no idea. I, she, didn't, she didn't include me in those decisions um, because I was, she allowed me to focus on healing. Uh, and getting better, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually, all those good things. Uh, and so about a year ago, we really started kind of tossing this idea around. Uh, and then last uh, September, um, between myself, my older brother, who is the the genius behind the website and the, you know, on the, the um, online marketing campaign and so forth, uh, they all put that together. And then Jamie is the Uh, those two are the brains of the operation. They do all the hard work. I don't have to do anything. Um, I, would tell my story and, you know, that's smile pretty, uh, so then we launched it, uh, online back in September. And then just this past Saturday, we had our first, um, inaugural fundraising dinner, which was fantastic. And we raised, uh, just about $7,000 that night, um, to get us started, we have a promise from another um, donor uh, family that is going to, we're going to uh, launch a, a three to one campaign, not that's turned into a foundation sales pitch, uh, a three to one um, campaign that we're going to do. So they're going to match $3 for every $1 that someone donates over the next month, uh, up to uh, $10,000 they're going to donate, which is pretty awesome. Um, so it's really got some momentum going. It's pretty cool.
2: Congratulations. That's Thank big. You.
1: I appreciate
0: that. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations, um, and I think that's in addition. I think you've kind of prepared for this by also volunteering with some other organizations, mm-hmm. um, and I think, um, you know, I think that takes up a good bit of your time as well. Are you are you still divvying out a lot of time um, just elsewhere?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so, Donate Life. Uh, it's there's all sorts of different ones. Mine is Donate Life. You know, Arizona. Um, they are the folks that help get people to register to be donors. So when you go to like, say the DMV and you check that little box on your license, uh, at least in Arizona, can't speak to Colorado, but I'm, I'm sure it's similar. Um, this organization is the one that rallies those campaigns and really try to organize folks to become organ or tissue donors. Uh, so I, I work with them quite a bit and we'll do um, stands where we're just getting people to register. And sign up. Uh, I'll do talks with them sometimes with uh, medical professionals and tell my story and tell about why it's important. Uh, Maybe I go to the DMV itself and talk to the employees there about why it's important for for organ donation. Uh, So do that. Um, I spend a lot of my time uh, raising funds for different organizations. Um, The American Liver Foundation uh, is one. I rode in the Tour de Tucson uh, sponsored with them. I was one of their adventure chairs here in town. Uh, so we put a team together and raised some money and rode a hundred miles in the Tour de Tucson, which is a pretty big cycling race down here. Um, that was a long day. I was not properly trained uh, for sure. Um, I do other ones. There's a, a, a program up in Prescott that's called the Launchpad Teen Center. Um, and they work with um, at-risk or underserved youths in the area um, and really provide a safe place for all of them to be uh and to come whether it's you know after school or whatever the programs are but they help in so many different ways and part of what we do is we're part of the adventure outdoors program and so we'll raise money um for them to get kids outside uh whether it's hiking or kayaking or mountain climbing or all the different adventures out there camping and so we do rim to rim every year at the Grand Canyon and raise money for that last year we raised Oh, boy, I'm going to throw out a number and I hope it's accurate, Courtney. Uh, I think it was like over $75,000 that we raised last year for him. So it's pretty cool.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good
1: stuff.
0: And you're so an the expert in the... To... Sorry, Adam. <laughs> you go, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, it sounds like you're an expert in the fundraising realm. Like Z- semi-expert. Yeah,
1: expert, no, uh, but I will work really hard at it, um, especially for causes that I think are important. You know, another one was uh, movement for recovery. This is actually with Charlie Engel um, out in Maryland. This is for the Ashley Treatment uh, Center out there, which is an addiction treatment center, um, raising money for folks that maybe can't afford it uh, and scholarship programs. So we go uh, on his sober birthday every July. He likes to run one hour for every year he's been sober. So this past year was thirty one hours which means next year or this year is thirty two and then we run around in a loop for about a two mile loop around campus and raise some money which is pretty cool
0: so i I wanted to bring that up just to give some context of you know you're you're a busy guy and you're you're doing a lot of fantastic things um, and I, I think we're gonna come back to that later when we dive more into the training um but what kind of races have you done? I know you recently had a DNF. Um, and then I want to hear about what next year's racing looks like.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so the way it all kind of started was I, you know, I had that first half marathon way back when, um, and immediately I wanted to train for a 50 K, um, was the first one out of the gate. So I actually uh, belonged to a run club called Southwest endurance training Um, I found them because I looked them up here in town for run clubs because I started running on my own and very quickly realized I have no idea what I'm doing Uh, and uh, was starting to hurt my knees and because I think there's a lot of people out there that are like myself where when I was in, you know, I played competitive sports and running, you know, when you play baseball, you run till you can't and then your coach tells you to take a break and then you go run till you can't again and it's awful. Um and that was my experience, and so when I decided I was going to run a hundred miles all by myself, I ran till i couldn't, which was a mile maybe half mile maybe um and it was awful, and I was starting my knees starting to hurt, and I was getting like you know um, wear and tear and it just, i don't know if I had actual injuries or fractures or whatever anyway um so I found Southwest endurance training, which got some actual coaching involved, which was great uh and so um in that path over those three years, you know, I've done a couple of 50 Ks, um, a couple of 50 milers. Um, the most recent DNF was at Javelin hundred, uh, last October. That was my second, uh, hundred mile attempt. Um, the first one was actually at David Clark's race in Longmont, Colorado. Um, was up there. He does the, uh, his buddy, um, who was my ultra coach, his name is Bill Stahl. Um, They do the American heroes run up there every year, every September. Um, And that one for that first year, that first DNF uh, was tough for an Arizona kid because it was Colorado and the Friday before the race, it was 99 degrees. So I'm thinking perfect, right up my alley. It's going to be hot. Everybody's going to be complaining. It's wonderful. Uh, And then a storm rolled in and it was 40 degrees and sleeting for the next 48 hours. And it was awful. And I had never really ran in those conditions. So uh, somewhere in the middle of the night, uh, I was shivering and my dexterity was gone and water bottles and I couldn't do anything. And so they made me sit for about an hour or two to get warmed up. Uh, they didn't pull me from the course, thankfully. Um, but once I got back out there, it was hundred miles was pretty much out of the question. Uh, so I, I finished with 82, which still ain't nothing to shake a stick at. You know what I mean? So it was a pretty good job, but, uh, and then Javelina this past year, um, I felt really good about the training going in. Um, you know, I followed a good plan from about, uh, well, I would say July of that previous year, maybe maybe June or July, I can't remember exactly, but really ramping up the weekly mileage, sticking to a pretty good cadence of um, whether it's long runs, short runs, rest days, so forth. But I felt really good going in. I, I thought for sure... Um, I was going to have a really good shot at finishing this thing. Now I am not fast. So I had no delusions about winning or being sub 24. This was a, you need to be a sub 29, 59, 59 is what I needed to be. And I thought I, I really felt pretty good about it. Uh, and then right after lap one, which is about 22 miles, I started getting what's which, which the only way I can describe my shin splints in my right shin, right above my ankle. Um, They continually got worse and worse and worse. Uh, Till probably about mile 65, I finally looked at my pace and I I can't do it anymore. Um, Which was a gut-rinsing decision and I have second-guessed it every minute since. Um, But it was tough, I couldn't lift my foot and we're running through this rocky technical terrain. The next seven miles from there were uphill. I mean, it's not like steep, but it's still, you know, a degrade which is what hurt my foot was that flex on my foot. That's what hurt my shin and aggravated it. So um, yeah, I made the decision to to call it at 65 miles, which kind of, kind of stung a little bit.
2: Can you give us, can you paint a picture in a little more detail of what your training looked like that summer leading into it in terms of like average hours per week, what your long runs looked like if you were integrating intervals, um, the elevation, all of that.
1: Sure. So, um, and I'll give you a ballpark because I don't remember exactly, but generally how it would work out uh, was we would take Mondays and Fridays off. Um, Usually Fridays were a designated rest day. Mondays could be some sort of a cross train, do something light. Um, You know, a lot of times I would spend it maybe uh, doing yoga or stretching or something along those lines. Tuesday would be a medium day is what i call it. So as we got closer, they would get bigger, but somewhere between 8 and 10-ish miles on Tuesdays. Wednesdays are typically designated for track or speed work, uh, and those workouts would vary. Um, that's through my run club, and it's really whatever coach would prescribe for that particular one. You know, usually it was always at – well, I can't say always. Majority of the time was at the track. Um, Thursdays were just kind of a nice little shakeout runs right and then saturdays were the long runs they would get progressively longer as we got closer to peak week Uh, and then sundays were your second longest run as a follow-up one and that was generally a pretty good description of how the training went um hours i couldn't i don't really know mileage i could tell you um i because i'm not terribly fast it is tough for me to run by hours um because you know there are lots of people who you say go run for an hour and they're going to get themselves eight miles. That's a good run. There is not a prayer that I am running eight miles in an hour. Uh, five and a half, we're going to call it a good run, you know, uh, for an hour. So I generally try to go by miles. Um, but towards the peak, uh, I was in that you know between fifty to sixty, maybe sixty plus that peak week miles for that week. Uh, with my longest run being in the twenties to thirties, um, and then follow it up with another fifteen to twenty or. On that Sunday um, that's pretty general.
2: okay how specific to the havelina course were those long runs
1: it depended on the week um, I need to do focus more on that I, I realize that now afterwards I think that was my one of my big takeaways uh, we have a, a, a park here um, called Sweetwater Preserve but it's the trails there are very close to McDowell Mountain Park they're they're very similar technical. They're very similar with the elevation changes and so forth. And we would run there often, but I don't think I spent enough time focused there. Um because I really I mean it wasn't my it wasn't my cardio that failed me. It wasn't my legs muscles that failed me. It was my small soft tissues. You know? And so I think that was part of it.
0: Yeah, and Darcy, I just to the Strava as well. So uh, there were, you know, a handful of weeks, like nine weeks out that are all, you know, 10 to 13 hours. So just kind of ballpark um, to, to translate that towers And it does look, you definitely were doing trail running um, and I saw some sweet water runs in there. So it's not like you were only on sidewalks or um, the treadmill or anything
1: like that. Oh, God. Well, you won't find me on a treadmill. And I really try not <laughs> to run on the sidewalks. <laughs>
2: What did your, um, maybe you were not going to the gym when you were really focused on Javelina, but if you were going to the gym, what did that look like? Um, and when you were maybe like in the winter, <clears throat> how did that differ from what the gym may have looked like in the summer leading up to Javelina?
1: Sure. Pretty easy. Cause I wasn't going. Um, so it's a pretty easy answer. Um, you know, I had done quite a bit of gym training a year before or so but leading up to Havelina it just it didn't work into my program and it really needed to. Okay. Um now the training that I'm doing now again the focus is different right now but um definitely doing more um, cross training. I have a lot of time on a on an exercise bike which is nice because it's in the middle of a sauna too so it's nice and hot and sweaty which is nice. Um, and then I'll do a lot of um yoga or Body weight workouts or things of that nature. Um, once we get through this next, my my idea for my next training session, which is going to be April through Havelina again in October, uh, is to really spend a lot of time on runner-specific, uh, I was going to say weight training, but that's not right, strength training, right? Um, whether it's rubber band work or weights or however that's going to look, I don't really know because I'm not the expert, but um, I do know that's where I need to focus on a lot of that stuff for this next one coming up,
2: yeah, that gives gives both of us a a lot better idea of uh you were doing your homework, you were not expecting to like run a little bit and then off the couch and get through that right. um How about your nutrition in training? What did that look like, and how much did that differ if at all when you got to have Alina? How did you execute the same or differently? So in,
1: in actual run nutrition, I feel pretty good. I, I feel like I've got it dialed in pretty good. I am plant-based. Um, I, the word I use is lowercase vegan because uh, I'm not terribly strict. Like I'll have honey. It's okay. Uh, I'll have bread that's regular bread. Um, but I won't do any dairy and I won't do any meats and things of that nature. Um, so I'm pretty intentional, while, especially while running, especially while running long runs, on what I eat, how much I eat, and so um, I don't remember the exact plan I had during Havolina, but it was dialed in. I mean, I was getting my 250 to 300 calories per week, or per week, per hour um, while I was running. I felt pretty good about it. Now, non-running nutrition <laughs> while I'm just sitting at work, uh, yeah, I got to work on that. Um, you know, I I have personally put on about 20 to 30 pounds in the last year while still running and working out and all these other things. And it is strictly because sugar is delicious, you know? Uh, (laughs) And once they have one cookie, uh, it's tough not to eat all of the cookies. Uh, So when all of my friends say, Oh, you want to buy some Girl Scout cookies? Absolutely not. I will buy, I will buy four boxes and you will take them home with you. I will not bring them to the house. Um, So that is something that recently I've actually talked to my family. We're going to, I'm, refocused on that part because I think um being intentional about my food is where I have to be because I, I I'm one of those ones like I can sit and mindlessly put back a, a whole bag of chips and not even not even flinch you know um I think it has to do with a lot of my addictive personality I like the isms as it were um Tom, Tom I was just talking about this with my sister yesterday Tommy Ribs I'm sure everybody knows who he is Um, he had a post, I'm going to say a year ago is when he was coming back and starting to train again. Uh, and it's a wonderful post on his Instagram. If you don't follow him, one, you should, uh, and two, this specific post is him with his bicycle helmet and he's eating an ice cream bar of some sort. In the beginning of this post, he said, uh, I am very good at addictions. I am very good at abstinence that gray area of moderation in the middle is very tumultuous. And and I very much so relate with that. Uh, so when it comes to nutrition, I have to be intentional.
2: Yeah, that's not surprising to hear. I don't claim at all to be an expert on right. uh, addictive, addiction or addictive personalities. But my experience with it is that uh, yeah, there's extremes and they're really easy to find for those mm-hmm. with addictive personalities in yes. every facet of life. So you're going from a half marathon to a 50 K to a 50 miler. Isn't surprising at all. Um, Fits the you're, yeah. And you're very self-aware. So that's like step one, right. Is being self-aware. Um, how about the, the hydration aspect um, in training and especially on race day and maybe like the day before race day, I know temperatures this year, I was there were about average, a little warm in the daytime, cold at night, et cetera.
1: Uh, yeah, they were pretty average. Um, I wouldn't even say it was warm in the daytime. It was chilly at night. Once you're sweating and full of sun warmth in your skin. Um, but I felt good about my hydration, you know, um, I feel good about it on most of my long runs. You know, it's something that, you know, you grow up here and you're focused on hydration, just innately, right? Like you go to the store, you have your water with you. Um, you, you don't even have to be running or working out. Um, so I, f- I felt pretty good about that. I don't I didn't bonk at all when it comes to nutrition or hydration. On that particular, I have in the past, there have been runs and races, really long training runs more than races themselves where I'll go out and either didn't eat enough or um, I'm thinking of one specifically, we were running on the AZT out here uh, and I was two hours into this run. And it was just one of those great runs. You're just out and the temperatures are great. It wasn't terribly hot and it's beautiful. And you're watching the sunrise and then two hours in, you're like, man, I haven't eaten anything. And then it's too late, you know, at that point. And now you're just trying to make it back to the truck um, without passing out. So um, I think I've learned from some of those mistakes (laughs) uh, to be focused on it pretty good, but I felt pretty good about hydration, uh, Havelina.
2: Yeah. I just ask, um, you know, sometimes what's practiced in training goes out the window on race day and it doesn't sound like that was the case for you. That anterior tibialis like flare up. Um, it's, it's not one of the like top one or two common injuries, but, um, it definitely happens. It, it could be a showstopper. Um, so I was just trying to assess if perhaps there was a nutritional explanation largely because your training sounds like it was sound, um, in the lead up. Um, you don't have a, an ex- you don't have years of running under your belt. If, um, baseball is your background, you're more of a power sports, right. um, kind of guy. And so those, those adaptations that take years to create, you know, the mitochondria that is the factory, uh, the energy factory. Um, I learned, relearned <clears throat> a few months ago that a mitochondria cell, um, the lifespan of it. Any guesses on? A- okay. So I ch- I
1: cheated and googled, but
0: I'm I'm going to go with my original guess of eight months.
2: Eight months. Okay, Kelly, what have you got?
1: Well, I also cheated and googled, but I was originally going to say one hour, just based off the type of the way you asked your question. Okay.
2: You guys are both way off. You know that now after Googling it. 10 to 15 years.
0: Oh, wow. Wow.
2: So that's how long it takes to really create a full, robust, endurance-powered human body. That's not the only aspect to endurance sports by any stretch of the imagination. It's a large component. So you can have all the dedication and the commitment and the decision to, you know, spend a couple of years getting ready, building up, yeah. going from a 50 K to a 50 miler, which it sounds like you did really well um, and wisely. Um, but still that mitochondrial density takes years and years and years. Once you have it, it's going to hang around for quite a while. That's the good part. Sure. But that's probably not the reason you're to be Alice flared up, but <laughs> Um, it could be the reason, you know, like you're saying, I'm not fast, whatever fast means. Um, right. I think in our intake, you were curious, like how to mark progress. Um, the -hmm. further you zoom out, usually the easier it is to see progress over time. So if you have two years of data to you, that probably feels like quite a bit, and it's not a small amount by any stretch, but if you have eight years and 10 years and 15 years, then you can really start to see those patterns and that progress. And you know your heart rate used to be one hundred and fifty on this five and a half mile one hour run. Now you can run six and a half miles and your heart rate's five beats per minute lower. Isn't that cool? So, yeah, bit of a t-
1: very very true. Uh, and I do love the word zoom out. Uh, I use that when I coach quite a bit because uh, you get stuck in this world of you can't see the forest for the trees. Uh, and I am definitely prone to that, um, where, you know, it, you feel like you're working really, really hard and just not seeing results. And then if you think about it going, you know, there was a, a point in my life when I was 300 pounds and, you know, I wasn't going to run anywhere. Are you kidding me? And now I'm considering, you know, a DNF at 65 miles, you know, like I'm questioning if I could have gone further. I mean, that's just, that's amazing the difference in there. You know what I mean? When you, when you zoom out.
0: Yep. I think even the culture around running has kind of changed how people think about the timelines where you, most people, when they first get into racing or just running, they sign up for an event and they go find a training plan online. And that Mm -hmm. training plan is going to be 12, 16 weeks. And I think it does create a false sense of security of how effective that amount of time can be. Um, and I think Darcy and I probably both see this a lot where, when new people are, are thinking about coming on board, um, I, at least I see this question is when should I start working with you? If my event is in August, um, and exactly when you should start working with a coach. I mean that, you know, there's financial considerations too, but when you should start training, it's like planting a year, planting a tree. You should have started training 10 years ago. Correct. Um, right. and not that you can't be really successful in the meantime, But these adaptations are so long term and they build upon each other that the more long term you can think about it and have patience that way. And just like you were saying, zoom out to see progress over long periods of time, the better because 12 weeks, especially in people, once you're decently well trained, it's just not going to move the needle a lot um, in, in a lot of measurable ways. Yep.
2: And I like that word patience, um, in looking at your information that you sent to us, I believe it was yesterday. Like that term kept coming to mind is like having patience, um, and recognizing that one, the motivations for each runner are a little bit different. And I love to celebrate Mm -hmm. that individuality. Um, at the same time, the more each runner embraces ultra running as part of their lifestyle, the easier it becomes oftentimes to settle in and the patience naturally evolves because it is part of the lifestyle. Um, and from what you've told us, you've made some really big changes over a five year period, yes. like really sure. tectonic shifts. Um, and sometimes that takes a while to settle and seat down and, and just become part of your lifestyle. And, you know, you have a lot of like, Fingers in a lot of different, really important, uh, life-giving things, Um, and endurance is one of those one of those things that rewards time and investment and sacrifice, um, and not just for a few months every year. Um, Sure. So, I'm not saying beautifully fit. So,
0: and I think uh, even on the weight loss topic the more in just diet in general, the more that you see yourself as an ultra runner. Um, and I mean, I'm referencing David Clark again, but this was, uh, I I remember it distinctly in his book. He was at first he was eating to lose weight. And then eventually he was eating to fuel himself as an ultra runner. Um, and you know, I think there's sometimes some complications with always seeing food as just pure fuel, but I think it is, um, one way you can think about it that that helps kind of flip that switch is in to bring that identity into your day-to-day life of, Oh, I go to sleep now because I'm a serious endurance athlete. I need my sleep. Um, and it can carry to sleep diet and everything else in your life.
1: Absolutely. And I, I very much agree. I mean, that's, I mean, I was not plant-based prior to this tectonic shift, uh, to quote Darcy. Um, but that was why I became intentional was about it, it was like, you know, I, I read first, it was Charlie's and it, I read all the I read all the pillar ultra running books, it was Charlie's and Rich Roll's and David's and so forth and so on. And there's a common theme. There are all these plant based runners. And so this was another one of those fun stories with me and my wife. So how it works in my house is, uh, apparently, I have a tell, and I'll say her name is Jamie. But I call her James. And I'll say, so, James, I've been thinking. And now when I say, James, I've been thinking, her response is, oh, God, (laughs) what is it now? And so uh, coming up on four years ago, right when all this sort of happened uh, or started, uh, I said, so, James, I've been thinking. She goes, what's that? And I said, I think I'm going to go vegan. I have zero idea how to do this. I've not planned. I've thought about it, but I have no structured, you know, it's not well thought out. And I said, well, I think I'm going to do it right now while we were at a restaurant. And they had a plant-based burger. Uh, and she she immediately was like just mortified going, well, what does that mean? We're going to have to make two different meals every time or two different? And it's much simpler than what we had made it out to be. And of course, I ate nothing but you know salads and veggie platters for the first three weeks because I thought that's how you did it um, until you finally figure it out. But I guess my whole point behind it was, that intentional part of the eating. Why are you eating what you're eating? Not to say you can't have them cookies, which is good because I sure like them. Um, But making sure that you're only, you're not only having the cookies, you know? Yeah. I think it's key.
2: Yeah. That kind of begs a bigger question. Um, And I was going to ask this after um, Adam, Adam wrapped up. Is I'm curious like how strongly you identify as an ultra runner and what your big why or whys are for enlisting in ultra running and have they changed over the course of start to finish and where we are today sure
1: Um, so I'll start with the identity question because I think about this a lot specifically on long runs uh, which is ironic so I, I don't identify with one of the things that I do. Ultra running is a big part of my life. Being a husband is a big part of my life. Being a dad, a big part of my life. Being a, you know, a, a executive director for a foundation that hopefully is going to help millions and millions of people is a big part of my life. None of them are me, if that makes sense. I am the person who does these things. And so I think that if any one of them disappeared for whatever reason, while I would be disappointed and I would miss it, I'd be okay. You know, if ultra running all of a sudden I'd, you know, my legs disappeared and I can't use them anymore. Um, it's going to stink because I really enjoy doing that, but I am confident I will find something else that, that fills that part of my personality that I like. Um, and so that's, I think, answer question number one. I actually was on, there's a, a gentleman uh, who has a, um, a podcast called the Running Deep Podcast. Uh, he's an ultra runner from out in Australia. Um, and he asked me a similar question about, and so the way he put it, which I thought was great, was um, all the different parts of your personality are in this boardroom. You know, so you see, I think this big Fortune 500 company office building, right, glass windows um there's the ultra runner me there's the dad me there's the executive director me there's all these different me's in there and and the question was who makes the decisions and you know we thought about it for a bit and my response was I do because I'm different than all of those people they all get their input and depending on the subject some of them outweigh their opinions are more important you know if we're talking about how to you know blast down a technical terrain yes the ultra runner person he gets a bigger voice than maybe the the you know the co-founder of gratitude and grace um alcoholic me is invited to the boardrooms now he has to sit in the corner we're we're tired of hearing from him you know he doesn't get a whole lot of say in the matter but we but he's still part of me so he gets to come right um so that's kind of how i look at those i hope that it was a a long answer but i hope it cleared it up um the whys, yes, they have changed a bit. Um, before, when I first started, it was because I didn't think I could. And and I like those types of things, um, hence the race that's coming up next year, Adam, that we were talking about. Um, I, I really didn't think that I could. There, I mean, I, I, I never ran. I played baseball. We run 90 feet, and we take a break. Then we run another 90 feet, and we take another break, you know. Um, I remember, you know, I had a buddy, you know, 20, 15 years ago anyway, he would started to run marathons and I looked at him like he was nuts. Like, there's no way I'm going to do that. That's silly. And so when this whole notion came, it was, yeah, I don't, I, there's, I I don't think that I can. So I need to go prove to me. It really was to me that now I can, that I can do this. Now, while I have not run a hundred miles yet or completed that distance, I know that I can. Um, it's going to take some more work. It's going to take some more patience. It's going to take some more, all those things, but, but I know it's there. Um, so now what happens is uh, it's, um, it's the experience and it's all of it that I look forward to. I look forward to the, um, 30 hours in nature. I look forward to the people that I meet. You know, the people that I've met at ultra races are amazing um, I look forward to the suffering. Um, I think that that, that portion goes back to that addictive, that addiction part of me. Um, when you talk to other addicts who are specifically ultra runners, um, that I have chatted with in the past, we have, we, we are, um, we are equipped to suffer very, very well. We have life experience. It's on our resume. It's something that we can brag about. Like uh, we're, we're good at it. Uh, and so I think that a, that equates to ultra running. So when it's two o'clock in the morning and it's sleeting rain and I'm from Arizona and this just absolutely is miserable, n- normal people would probably say, this is stupid. I'm going in the car and I'm going home to the hotel and getting dry and going to bed. I looked at it like, please don't pull me. <laughs> just let me warm up a little bit, you know? Um, I-, I love the, I think I mentioned the nature part, but that is part of me that um, I crave being outside and in nature. I, I need it to feel whole. Um and so that's a big part of it too. Okay.
2: Yeah, I just ask those questions because I think that informs um recommendations that can be made for <clears throat> what's necessary necessary, excuse mm-hmm. me, to get beyond that DNF. You know, like why, what are you looking to get out of it, both in the process and in the race and the experience itself? Um, because then you can kind of answer the question, like, is it worth it? Is it worth it now? Like now, you know, that you can do this. So there needs to still be that big thing of as big as, I don't know if I can, what's replacing that, you know? Sure. So,
1: well, and I think to answer that part of the question, yeah, I, it truly in my heart of hearts, I know I can get to that triple digit mileage, but I still haven't yet. It, it's not there. I don't, I don't have it in my hands, you know? Um, and so I remember running at Javelina in lap number two, when my leg was really starting to hurt uh, coming that stretch that really isn't terribly technical, but between rattlesnake, that last aid station and and uh, headquarters, um, it was really starting to hurt. And I, I spent a lot of time um, visualizing things, and I'll talk about a couple of them here in a minute, but in that particular moment, I was visualizing the finish line. I was visualizing being DFL. I was in all that stuff. My dad, who doesn't, tr- and I hope you're listening, dad, he doesn't truly understand this ultra running thing. You know, he didn't get it. Um, he, he's He is definitely one of the, I should get him a shirt. I don't even like to drive that far. That is absolutely him. Um, he came up to see me. You know, I have all these people that were supporting me, and I, I, I envisioned that whole scene in my head, and that absolutely put me out on lap number three. Uh, and then we went out for we were at the aid station at at headquarters uh, in between three and four. I'm now now I'm pushing cutoffs. I'm not chasing them at this point, but I'm pushing them. Uh, and I looked at my pacer uh, and looked around and I said that we're going. Injury be damned, I'm going. And so we took off and we went another two or three or four miles and I couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. I am glad that I made that last attempt and didn't die in the chair. You know what I mean? Like had to go give it another go and it just didn't work. Um, We'll get there, but I'm not there yet. You know? Um, I think the other part that I was going to bring up was um, for me, especially when stuff gets hard, when it's two in the morning, and it's just you and you, and it's you've been going for however many hours you've been going, and it's just it 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 just sucks, right? Um, for me, one of the tools, uh, and I talk about this kind of often, and this is, I think I don't think it's terribly common, but so in my story, in my history, there were lots of things that I can remember moments that I'm not terribly proud of, right? Um, the whole recovery through liver transplant was extremely hard. Um, there were parts in my first marriage and parts with my kids and so forth that I am, I am not proud of and things that happened. Those moments are what I go back into. Um, when, when it sucks during this ultra running, you know, it's two in the morning, you're 40 miles in it's raining, all those things. And when I try to explain it to people, I, I I don't just remember them. I want to dive into that moment and really feel those emotions. And after whatever, however long that is that you're in those, that space, when I come back out, <laughs> this, this race that I'm in, oh, that's not hard. This is not that bad, you know, and it gives me a sense of relief of look where we're at. Look what I'm choosing to do. It's not those moments. This is actually fun, even though at this particular moment it may not seem like it. It is actually fun. You paid to be here. Um, and those really help. And that's a tool that I, I keep in my tool bag for when it gets a little difficult out there.
2: That's powerful. I like that.
0: Absolutely. I like that too. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know if we've actually spelled it out yet. What are the, the upcoming races? Sure.
1: So haveline is, so the first, the first one right now, uh, I'm training for a half marathon specifically, uh, up in Phoenix at the end of March. Um, the goal was to add a little bit of speed a little VO2 max, you know, work on some strength training, you know, for these next couple, three months. And that's at the end of March. So I've got, you know, seven weeks or whatever it is. Um, And really kind of focus on those quote unquote shorter distances, right. And work on that sort of stuff. Then April through October will be javelina training. I am sure, because I know me and I like racing that there will be lots of uh, insomniac night series runs In between there, because running in the desert in the sun, daytime stinks, but running Aerovipa's night races are a lot of fun. Uh, So there'll be plenty of those training races. Uh, And then we'll go bang out that 100 miler. Uh, And then the big ultimate goal that's going to be coming is the Arizona Monster uh, in April of 2025. It's a destination trail races newest edition. Uh, Hasn't even opened yet, as far as I know. Unless you guys know a secret, I don't know. Um, but when it does, I'll sign up for that. It is 310 miles across the Sonoran desert. Uh, we will start in Patagonia. At least this is my understanding. So Candace, if you're listening and I get it wrong, just shoot me an email. It's fine. I'll get it right next time. Um, we'll start in Patagonia, which is about I don't know, an hour South of my house. We will run on the Arizona trail, which is five minutes from my house, uh, right up through here. Then we'll cut through Tucson and then we'll keep heading up North. Uh, to a place called Superior, Arizona, uh, which is a little mining town from way back when, uh, for a total of 310 miles, which is going to be uh, fantastic. I can't wait.
2: Yeah, so that's going to be, I know you know this already, but that's going to be a lot of walking, maybe 90% yes. walking, whereas Havelina, maybe 99. Maybe 99. Havelina <laughs> with 60 feet of gain per mile, I think on average with 6,000 feet. Uh, you can run a lot of that course depending on fitness level. You could probably train for Javelina with um, the Arizona monster in mind and see how mm-hmm. much fast walking you could d- get done in twenty nine hours twenty nine minutes and fifty nine seconds um, but i'm not i'm not telling you exactly how to train, but I think like with there only being five months between a runnable hundred miler and a 300 mile hike. They seem similar. They're actually not that similar. Um,
1: Fair. Yeah, no, I, I agree. They, they don't seem similar to me at all. Um, I think the, the, the um, advantage that I have for me, not, not advantage. Like I'm going to win this thing. Cause that's not even, that's not part of the goals. Uh, is I've hiked. I, I don't know what a percent, at least half of that section of the Arizona Trail. Um the mountains that it covers, the Santa Rita's the Rincons, and then the Catalinas, um, those are the ones I referred to right outside of Tucson. Um I I've been up and down those trails. Uh and yeah, I, I it's gonna be a whole lot of hiking. Um you know forty four miles a day and that gives me a four hour buffer. Uh not that I does not yeah, it's going to be fantastic. It's one of those adventures that um, you just – What one of the things that I think, you know, when you talk about those very runnable 100 milers, right? What what was, what was did they finish in last year? Twelve. It was like 12 hours, 12 and a half hours of javelina or something stupid. I don't know what it was. Um, that's a very fast running course. And even for 100 miles, I mean, it's still – you finish in 30 hours, right? I. That's not, you know, my speed at my, you know, 12 minute miles or at, and a good run. And then at Haviland is a 16 minute mile. And which is about what I was keeping uh, during that race versus now just throw a pack on and let's go bang out 40 miles in a 24 hour stretch. Yeah, I'm in. That sounds like that sounds like a good time. Um, I'm good for that. That's right up my alley.
2: Cool. <clears throat> go ahead, Adam.
0: Yeah. It, <clears throat> if you have an opportunity really any time starting now to, to get out and do some through hiking. I know Mm -hmm. you mentioned you have hiking experience. Um, I don't know how much you've done kind of multi-day stuff. I think one of the biggest areas of low hanging fruit that you're going to find is the logistics of this. Um, so if you show up to this race and you already know, the pack that you like, um, you know, how much water it can carry, you know, which part chafes you and now, you know, not to wear that pack in those conditions, all that sort of stuff, um, is going to save you a lot of time and give you a lot of buffer and be hyper specific training at the same time. Um, so I think really as much as it is within the cultural ultra running sphere, it is now much more similar to a through hike. Sure. Um, so I think as much as you can practice those skills, um, and I have an athlete doing, um, the, the spine race, uh, in the Montane summer spine race. And so that's probably the only race that's vaguely similar to this. Um, it's like 270 miles and I was actually just showing it to the coaches the other day. Um, the the pack weight is going to be important. That's going to be a big thing that changes. You're not going to go out there with your the same pack that you're wearing Wait. for 100 miles. Um, it's going to look very different, and the the s- structural adaptations to carrying that pack take a long time as well. So, I'd start feathering that that stuff in logistics stuff now. Um, training with the the heavy pack, that'll happen kind of as part of that. But I think you'd want to be pretty specific about that, you know, maybe right after Javelina or a little bit before it. Yeah,
1: That's a good call. Yeah, good point.
2: And spinning off of what Adam said, um, the sleep deprivation and your sleep system and Mm -hmm. sleep plan needs to be pretty dialed. Like, it's different in the desert than it is in the high alpine. You know, if I go to the desert, I'm like, there's scorpions everywhere and I'm going to lay in a cactus. I know like I'll take a mountain lion. I've got my bear spray. I'm good. I don't have to worry about those like threatening insects. I can take a dirt nap anywhere in the desert. Not so much. So you're familiar with that uh, environment. That's to your advantage, but you still need to be really cognizant um, and aware of what tends to happen when you're in, a a state of extreme sleep deprivation. It's not you've been moving for 30 hours, you're tired. It's been you've been moving for four hours, excuse me, four days, and maybe you're getting two to four hours of sleep over those four days, over those five days. Um, Do you hallucinate? What do you do when you hallucinate? Do you how do you make decisions? Um, What does your crew do in those situations when you're not making sense? Um, So so many factors to consider when you jump up to that like double and triple digit, uh, time frame distance.
1: Gotcha. So one of the things, um, that I, and tell me what your thoughts are. Uh, but one of the things I've heard about training for obviously 200 milers, um, was doing those block type weekends, uh, where it's a, um, I believe it was like you do a 20 mile run on the same terrain, you know same so i can pick a section of it do a 20 mile next day do a 30 mile next day do a 20 mile and do a block and not, not like every weekend but do those every couple of months month six weeks i don't know um i don't know what your thoughts are on those
2: i mean it's so individual but um you build up to it and yeah maybe uh in november that's one weekend and then in december you do that for two weekends in january it's two or three And same for February, where you're getting out and you're doing it's at least a two day big block where Friday night, maybe you're hiking uh, into the night and then you're up at 6 a.m. and you're hiking for eight hours. Um, And then Sunday, it's shorter, more running five hours, that sort of thing. So just building on it um, so that, yeah, you're dialing in that system that Adam was talking about with your gear and then developing those structural adaptations, um, at the same time. And talking about that, it's so different. And you know that you've been here. It's one thing to talk about it and say, yeah, okay. (laughs) Hey, James, I'm going to be gone for three days (laughs) next weekend. And then two weeks later, you won't see me again for about three days. Is that cool? When I get done, I'm going to be exhausted. Is that also cool? You know, so, so what I'll probably do is just
1: have the first portion of you talking right now and say, well, this is what the coaches on the podcast said. And then, and then it'll just be gospel. And then she'll have to say, it's okay. <laughs> I think that's, okay. um, yeah, that, and, and that is a very good point. Cause we have all these other irons in the fire, um, that are important, you know, and how do you balance those types of, uh, activities and adventures? And yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Um, I do have another question. I came prepared since I was going to have both of you on here. Um, So the other thought that I had, because I don't know what I'm doing, uh, was obviously across the years, you can go all the way up to six days. It is obviously completely different terrain. It's, you know, uh, I think this year was 1.4 miles, but typically a one-mile flat loop. But you can do it up to six days. And so I didn't know if that would be a good way to train some of that sleep deprivation. You know, let's go from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., take a two-hour nap and get back at it or whatever um, and utilize some of that um, st- structure where I'm not out there by myself, you know, um, around town in the mountains, but having to, where it's supported. <coughs> there's other ultra runners out there that know what they're doing. So if I am hallucinating <laughs> and wandering into that duck pond, um, that they'll, they'll collect me and bring me back. You know, I don't know what your thoughts might be just because the train is so different.
2: Yeah, I had an athlete do that this year and she thought that she would really like it. Uh, she's from the Midwest and and so is not really a mountain ultra runner, more of like a, a flat, um, some road, some towpath style. Sure. Um, she said she would never do that again. She was like, I ran <laughs> around a parking lot for yeah. way too long. So hearing you like... If it's a means to an end, yeah, all those things could be very advantageous. If you go into it recognizing the nature component is absent, are you gonna be fine with that? Is the means to an end larger than what you're giving up, you know? So um there's so many different ways to skin that cat of doing a big thing in a safer setting than wandering out through the wilderness all by yourself um, for hours right. and hours. So Um, yeah, this, this, uh, event that your buddy does in July, obviously you won't get the opportunity to utilize that in the training for the Arizona monster. Um, but if you can rope some friends into doing maybe like a, a 12 hour and then a 12 hour thing on a weekend, um, where you're going into the night, um, and it's in like a sort of like five mile loop, that situation where you can be self-supported um, test gear, but you're not so far out there that you're going to have to like, uh, right. call the, call the federales and
1: yeah, search and, search and rescue to come yeah. get you. Sure. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, of how nightmarish that race could end up being actually. I, n- I'm now fully picturing six days of uh, laps around a parking lot and, uh, sorry across the years, but, um, you seem like a great opportunity for a lot of people, <laughs> but not for me.
2: Uh, yeah. That... Uh,
0: but I, I do love the, the way that you're approaching it of trying to introduce variables kind of in, in bite-sized chunks and in, in isolating variables. And that's, that almost goes back to what probably caused your first hundred mile DNF is bad weather for someone's first hundred miler is really tough. Um, it was. I think because it's such a big jump in distance. Usually people have done a 50 or a hundred K, um, and then there's a giant jump in distance. That's a huge variable to contend with that brings in a lot of other things, usually more blisters and things like that. And then if you throw on bad weather on top of it, it's just, it can become a little bit too much. So, um, this is the same thing where it, as much as you can minimize the onslaught of new variables, the better.
1: Very cool. Yeah. That first hundred, um, what and I don't know that I, I I want to say I underestimated, but I truly didn't understand was the mental side of it. You know, I, I just didn't, it just didn't compute. Like I don't, I didn't go in arrogant. I didn't go in thinking, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to crush this. It's a, that was also by the way, a one mile loop around a duck pond. Um, but, I didn't truly understand what it meant to start at 10 in the morning to finish at 4 PM the next day. Uh, and the, the experience I gained from that is, is invaluable. You know, I, I've used it multiple different times. Um, it was, it, it I, don't, I just started thinking back when that, when I realized that, man, I've been going for 12 hours, <laughs> bro. You still have 18 to go. Like, you're not even halfway. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, a. it was an experience to say the least.
2: Yeah. But again,
1: met some wonderful people, you know, I met my ultra coach at the time, you know, I mean, I just, or that day. So it was pretty cool.
0: Hey Darcy, I would love to know your thoughts on this like half marathon training block. Um, and you know, whether or not VO2 work is maybe the right move right now, or maybe it is. Um, Yeah. In, in in where he should go between here and Javelina?
2: <clears throat> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think when you consider the context of your climate, doing that short, hard speed stuff, um, when you have nice, cool weather, doesn't make the most sense at the same time you're quite far out from Javelina and next year's 300 miler. So um, I do think there's merit in adding some speed and higher intensity. Um, not that you're going to see a big jump in your endurance speed, right? So maybe this half marathon is 20 minutes faster than your first. And and instead of running an an 815, you're running a 745. That doesn't, (laughs) that doesn't take your 1015 endurance run down to a 945 endurance run, you know, um, but doing the same type of training for 18 months, um, you know, focusing on that long duration, uh, I think you are missing out on higher intensity fitness gains and just the variability, that mental variability where you do get to move the legs faster and you do get to breathe at your capacity, right. Where you like, can't talk, you're, you're pushing so hard. Um, I would say it's not a a bad idea. You know, if it's in March, yeah, maybe that's a little late and yeah, maybe you are missing out on some nice weather to train in there in Tucson, but it also sounds like you're a desert rat and you enjoy the suffering and thrive in that component. Um, Very much so. so. I think if you transition out of that, a half marathon, you're recovered in about a week from that, right? You're not mm-hmm. needing to take four weeks to recover from 100K, from a 100 miler. So you can kind of jump right back in and get pretty specific with Javelina and overlapping it a little bit with that, that monster training, um, you know, not specifically focusing primarily on Havelina because I think that there's enough overlap where you could integrate a lot of really fast speed walking at Havelina and change the way um, you're striding and the ground, um, just the way you're landing, like the muscle firing patterns, if you can change that when the course doesn't by walking differently, using a different running gait, um, that can be to your advantage. So you're not getting those like overuse injuries. A lot of times those flatter courses, people think like, oh, that'll be easier. It's actually sometimes harder because you're just doing the same thing hour after hour after hour, versus if you have a hillier course, there's more variation in what the body's doing.
1: I'm so glad you said that. Cause I, I we did, um... A couple of uh, it was called the Hotfoot Hamster. I was we were talking about a little earlier, and Jack Rabbit Jubilee out in Phoenix. It's a flat, half a kilometer loop, and you do. I've done the twelve. The twenty-four was Hotfoot, and then the twelve-hour was Jack Rabbit, and it was some serious suffering because it was it was there was no hills, there was no up, but there was no down. There was it was just this the same uh, all the way through. And I really felt like my legs were more sore and, and, and hurting than if I ran, you know, pick your technical run up a Canyon. Um, so I'm glad that that validated <laughs> my thought for me. I appreciate yep, it. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if you end up, you know, kind of maximizing your potential performance at Havelina just by doing that anyways. Um, you know, even, even if it's kind of doing it more for Arizona monster, yeah, just like Darcy was saying, I think it's going to benefit you a lot at, at Javelina as well. And I think probably a lot of havelina runners would benefit by doing more, you know, walking in their training and definitely something we end up harping on pretty much on every episode so far is that, you know, it's, um, it's a heavy walking sport for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at the very top end is when you start, you know, doing races entirely running, but uh, for a lot of us, most races include tons of hiking.
1: For sure. That was, uh, whenever we bring a new person into our little group, that's one of our favorite phrases. Cause they, you know, you get the new runner or the road runner or the somebody, and all of a sudden we break for an interval for a walk and they look at you with that funny, like you're, you're walking <laughs> face, right? And we'll look at them and we go, yeah, it's our favorite part of running, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I uh, I had a friend that moved out here who um, was a road runner transitioning into like trails and ultras, and um, she really enjoyed you know sprinting all the hills essentially. So my way to just break that was I just told her a really cool route: go do Hope Pass um, in Leadville. You're right. gonna have fun, um, and that was the ultimate lesson. Of- you have to go do some, you know, two, three thousand foot climb at high elevation and realize, oh, you know, walking has a lot of value. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just one little story.
1: That's um, fantastic.
0: I do want to get to your kind of general training. So you did have decent training going into Javelina, but I think you mentioned in the questionnaire and and I can see a little bit here that it's a little bit sporadic here and there. It's not the consistency isn't perfect. Um,
1: and I think to say the I, least, especially yeah. recently.
0: Yeah. And if you don't mind uh, walking us through how your training is going right now, I think at the beginning you alluded to, it's, it's kind of different since Javelina or something like yeah.
1: that. Well, so Javelina, right after Havelina, obviously my leg hurt. And, and so I took some serious time off. Okay. A couple of weeks. Uh, And then I had the tour de Tucson, which is that 100 mile bike ride, which I hadn't been on a bike in a year, just to kind of give you some context, uh, and decided to go ride this 102 mile bike ride with with quite a little bit of elevation gain. Uh, Again, not one of my wisest choices, but we got it done. We finished and it was rainy and it was cold and it sucked all the way around, Um, but we finished. So... um, Then my my truly in December, well really really January this past month was to get into training with a little bit more speed and strength in mind um to prepare for that half marathon, really for two main reasons. One, I I don't think I focus enough on strength going into Havelina and we talked about that quite you know a little bit earlier. Um and two, it's different. You know, I've been we've been for the longest time I've been trying to increase distance. I haven't trained specifically for a half marathon in 3 years, I think. Um so I wanted to kind of switch it up a little bit. Now, January and the consistency one big part that I don't like admitting, but it is true is life, work, the foundation had a lot going on. I mean there was a lot of stuff going on. Um it's, it was coming out of the holidays, too. So nutrition coming out of the holidays was not great. All of those things kind of culminated. Uh, and I, I honestly think, as I'm looking back in January and trying to, to, be, to take an inventory, not to use something out of the, the AA rooms, but to take a, an honest inventory, like, I don't like speed work. I'd much rather go run for 12 hours than you tell me to go run a 5K as hard as I can run it. Like, I just... They suck. It's really hard and I don't like them. And I think that's part of the reason that my consistency this past month has suffered. Um, So moving forward for this particular month, um, I think it's going to be much more focused because I know, I believe, that was the reason that it suffered in January. So now that if you know it, well, okay, now now you can do something about it because this is the goal that we have set. This is a plan we have in place. There's a reason behind it. let's go execute it and 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 i'm not looking to break you know records here my my ultimate goal is like a 209 half marathon i mean if i can run that i will call it extremely successful if i run a 215 i'll still call it good because that's a pr you know um so this past i'll give you an example this past saturday uh, i ran a 10k um i missed a pr by one minute exactly to to the second i missed it by one minute um when i was done on saturday i I got finished and i didn't know i was that close uh and i looked at my friends and i said so yeah i missed my pr in 10k by one minute if you miss your pr by one minute in a six mile race let's do some math shall we (laughs) and that's 10 seconds a mile that's one second a strider like if I had just pushed a little bit. And so then we went through that whole thing. And then I would, of course, I looked at my coach and went, you know, it'd be amazing. Think about the, think about the possibilities if I actually trained for these things. You know what I mean? So um, that part was a little frustrating, although it was funny. And we had a really good run. It was fun. My youngest got to go. It was his first race ever. And he smoked me by 15 minutes because he's 19 and in shape and has a six pack. Yeah, it was pretty fun.
0: Darcy, do you want to comment on how to build consistency. I think this is one of, one of the things that we deal with a lot that's asked of us a lot. Um, and maybe it's something that we're the least trained for. Um, you know, a lot of times is, you know, we know here's how to increase your threshold. Here's how to get ready for a hundred miler. And, you know, just personally as a coach, sometimes I've struggled with the the right answer of how to, you know, increase consistency and kind of get more of that, that buy-in in your daily life. So, if you don't mind, um, you know, adding whatever you have on that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, that's another thing that I was thinking about leading up to this conversation. Um, is you did mention that you've been a little less consistent um, as you were talking about how much you dislike uh, running hard. Uh, it occurred to me when you were talking about where you go mentally when you're really suffering in those ultras, those short intervals, those five k's, whatever can be a microcosm of that suffering. Mm. Um, So if you approached it like you really know how to suffer, um, it's a few suffering periods over the course of this run. At the same time, acknowledging you don't like this type of training, but like you said, you just like we all get to some point in an ultra marathon and we need to remind ourselves, I voluntarily did this. Nobody's (laughs) forcing me to do this. You just remind yourself, These are the goals that I set and this is the work that needs to be done. You don't have to like it. You don't have to feel motivated, but you're going to do it. It's kind of like being a parent. I can liken it to that. Like it's hard or really hard most of the time, but you're not going to just like throw the kids away. You just like suffer through (laughs) it. Right. Um, You grind through it. So um, I, I think that, Um, too often we think of like motivation as being the reason you're consistent. And if motivation is what you're looking for, to be consistent, you're probably less likely to be consistent. Sure, that's a conversation that I'll have a few times with my athletes who are struggling with consistency is, um, yeah. I
1: I like that too. And the, the microcosm comparison resonated, uh, quite a bit, uh, yeah. I'll use that. Cause the other thing too, that I've noticed, you know, I've had this conversation with friends of mine is that that six mile run that I have to do on a Tuesday. I'm like, eh, okay. It's a six mile run on a Tuesday. There's, I, I know I can run six miles. It's, it's before work. But if you told me I had a 20 mile run on a Friday and it's uphill and it's in the rain. Oh, that sounds kind of fun. Let's go do it. You know, cause that sounds God awful, you know? Um, that's, of what it falls in but i like the that when you're doing your speed work like it's just a it's just a shorter burst of that suffering that you have to do it's just doesn't last as long that's all Yeah, i like it. yep
0: with if you're going to run 300 miles you can definitely handle a tempo run
1: For <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs>
0: well and i think you're also going to have some luck bringing it as your identity keeps forming as we talked about earlier your identity will also say, "Oh, I'm I'm running this morning because I'm an ultra runner, and it's part of the training." And it it's kind of stops being a question eventually. Of of oh, should I run today? It's like no, this is who I am. This is what I do to do what I want to do. Um, and I also wanted to just talk about kind of your role in life, and you know, even just your your day to day job um, sounds pretty impactful. And then all the stuff you do outside of that. Um, providing a lot of value for people. Um, And it's, it's not directly like, hey, look, now I'm an ultra runner and that's the only reason why, you know, you have value to add to that space. But I think it is part of it. And overall, you're stretching yourself thin on the behalf of many other people. And so many really giving people get caught up in this where, you know, you have to also make sure that you are meeting your own needs first and putting yourself in the best position to help all the people you want to. and the short term sacrifice of, of stretching yourself then isn't, I don't think it's going to pay off long term. And um, you being you know this badass ultra runner that gets all your training in, um, I, I think only adds to how effective you can be in that.
1: I, I agree, and thank you for that. I, I do agree. And I think they, they intertwine too, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'll do, especially in the recovery community. Um, being an ultra runner as not only, um, as somebody in substance abuse recovery, because there's quite a few of us, right? I'm sure you've met them in your, in your, um, careers there, but being a transplant recipient on top of it, um, it goes a long way when talking to other transplant recipients or other people with health concerns or so, so forth and so on, or other things, other folks that are going through hard moments in their lives talking about shooting for Havelina or soon to be the Arizona monster. And, you know, cause you get those faces that we all get and they, that, that, oh my gosh face that we talked about earlier. And I look at them like, yeah, if you can, if you can get through whatever it is, they're going through at this particular moment that is extremely difficult and extremely hard. And really in some cases, life or death, if you can get through that, oh man, the life on the other side is is just amazing. And here are some of the adventures that you get to go on if you want to. It doesn't have to be ultra running, but pick, right? Here are the adventures you get to go on. Um, it's extremely impactful for those folks, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's another one of those whys in that in that toolbox of why you, why you do things or why I do things. Yeah, I just
2: got the chills when you said that. Like that's... <clears throat> powerful when you're looking at somebody who may be facing you know life or death and they're holding on um and you can speak specifically through experience of this is how good it is this is how good it gets and can be so keep battling and so when you wake up on tuesday and you just have an in-town six mile run you can rely on that and you can think of your nature run on friday in the rain How much better are you going to feel if you've been running a little bit throughout the week leading up to it and you don't feel awkward because you haven't been running for four days, you know, so it's paying it forward to your future self by getting out the door and doing that thing that you don't want to do. You know, there's all kinds of tricks to convince yourself to do the thing that you're not feeling like doing and um, just creating that habit you know, you get to the point where you start to crave it, even on a Tuesday, and it's a six mile solo run. You just like get antsy. Um, Yeah, probably similar to an addict who is like planning their day around when they're going to use you, (laughs) you know, start to plan your day around when I get to go get the wiggles out and go run outside. Um, So Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, Darcy, I used to say to myself that I'm training for my you know Sunday long run because I didn't like the the weekday runs either um, you know a, a while ago and it has evolved now to where I really enjoy an hour easy run it's just you're floating along it's fantastic but you know I think you know remembering that it's going to set you up to have all those really long mountain days that you love.
1: Yep. Very cool. Good point. Love it. Yeah.
0: And you know, to your credit, it's not like you're not. Um, doing your weekday runs. We see your Strava, <laughs> you know, it's just to, to get that those ones that maybe have been missing or have been shortened.
2: Yeah. This has been well, yeah. cool.
0: I think we hit a lot of great things here.
2: I agree. It's been really uh, insightful and uh, I've been inspired. So um, I come with gratitude for sure.
1: It is one of my favorite words. So I, I appreciate that. Gratitude, grace and grit are the three Themes that I try to balance every day.
0: All right. Thank you so much to Kelly and Darcy. One thing I didn't see coming with this podcast is how many inspirational people we would have on it, more than just getting good training info, which is the main point of it. But Uh, I think it's an incredible bonus, and I I hope you all are enjoying it as much as I am. It really is good perspective to talk to someone that, you know, thanks to a donor in modern medicine is alive and kicking and tackling all these ultras. I I just think it's great. As always, big thank you to Darcy. I know that she's always going to show up and bring her A-game and that I don't have to worry about it, and she's just going to handle it professionally and bring up things that I didn't even think to bring up. So thanks again to her. We'll always be seeing as much of Darcy as I can get. If you'd like to be on the podcast, please reach out at beyonddnf at gmail.com or shoot me a message on Instagram. Whatever works, we'll make it happen. If you're enjoying this podcast and you'd like to help out, the best thing you can do is share it with a friend or leave us a rating or review um, or just reach out and let me know how you're enjoying it. Every little bit counts. I hope you all enjoyed the show and I'll see you next time.